Good afternoon. Uh, my name is Matthew. I am the student ministry pastor here at New Life. It is my great joy that I get to bring the word of God to all of us today. Um, last week, we started a series here at New Life called Encounters with Jesus. And Pastor Rich took us through the story of Jesus healing the centurion's servant. It was a, a miraculous healing, and it was based in the faith of this centurion. He believed in the authority of Jesus, he believed in the, in the power of Jesus, and he believed that all Jesus needed to do was simply send a word, and whatever it was that Jesus spoke would actually happen. And the word says that Jesus was so amazed at this faith, it was a faith that he hadn't seen anywhere else in all of Israel. And today we're going to look at another story. It's a story of Jesus interacting with somebody of great faith. It's a story that amazes, it's a faith that amazes Jesus because it's coming out of a person who is themselves amazed by Jesus. The other interesting thing about this story, though, is it causes a shift in the way that Jesus understood his own ministry. In response to faith, Jesus comes to a new understanding of what it is that he's actually doing. So let's look together in Matthew 15, verses 21 through 28. If you need a Bible, you can just slip up your hand. One of our ushers will happily bring one to you. But we can also follow along together on the screens. Hear the word of the Lord. Then Jesus left Galilee and went north to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Gentile woman who lived there came to him pleading, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David, for my daughter is possessed by a demon that torments her severely. But Jesus gave her no reply, not even a word. Then his disciples urged him to send her away. Tell her to go away, they said. She's bothering us with all her begging. Then Jesus said to the woman, I was only sent to help God's lost sheep, the people of Israel. But she came and worshiped him, pleading again, Lord, help me. Jesus responded, it isn't right to take food from the children and throw it to the dogs. She replied, that's true, Lord, but even dogs are allowed to eat the scraps that fall beneath their master's table. Dear woman, Jesus said to her, your faith is great, your request is granted, and her daughter was instantly healed. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for this amazing example of what faith looks like. We thank you that your response to faith is deliverance. Father, I, I pray that as we sit here and we listen to this word and we try to understand what it is that's coming through, that our hearts are ready to receive what you're saying. Our hearts are ready to be transformed by the power that's coming forth through your word this, this afternoon. It's in Jesus' name I pray. And everybody says together, amen, amen. Anybody seen the movie... It's in theaters now. It's called Breakthrough. Has anybody seen Breakthrough? All right. That's why it's not in, probably about to leave the theaters because nobody, I kid you not, four people have raised their hands all day. It did not do well. But it's a great story. It's actually based in a true story. It's a story of there's three boys that decide for some reason to go play on a frozen lake. And of course, when you play on a frozen lake, they all fall through the ice. Two of them immediately come out and they're fine. One of the boys ends up being trapped underneath the ice for 15 minutes. By the time the rescuers found him, he was completely unresponsive. They rushed him to the hospital. They hooked him up to life support. 
and the doctors did everything they possibly could. They, they fought and they fought and they realized that they had done everything and there was no way that they could save him. So they invited his family in to, 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 to say goodbye to him. And so they all come in and the mom stays and the mom does something incredible. In the midst of her grief, in the midst of her anguish, in the midst of all the pain that she was feeling, she prays. And her prayer is really simple, that she prayed, God, please, Holy Spirit, please, bring my son back to life. And she continues to utter this prayer. And sure enough, the heart monitor starts to beep. Because God had accomplished what the doctors couldn't. Where the doctor's ability ended and they did a great job, God says, my, my work is, is greater. And he did a thing that nobody else could do. Our text, our story this morning is a story of a mom bringing the, her pain and her anguish and her grief over the, the suffering of her child to the one place that she knows restoration can be found. The one place that she knows healing can be found. And understand this, this is not just her child's grief. This is her grief. This is her sadness. This is her pain. Because like any parent, when your kid, I'm, I'm not a parent, so I don't know this firsthand, but I, I know it because I've seen it in the, the parents who come to this church that I get an opportunity to interact with. When your child is sick, you feel like you're sick too. When your child is in, in some kind of pain, you kind of, a, a lot of parents I've encountered feel like, I, if I could take that pain and feel it myself, so to spare you, I definitely would do that for my child. And that's exactly what this mom is doing. She's not passing it off, Jesus, can you heal, heal my child? She's, she's in pain. No, no, she comes to Jesus and she's in her own agony because her child's pain is her pain. And so in this story of Jesus and the Canaanite woman, this is this just incredible moment, this incredible change that happens. And in Matthew's telling of this story, we find, that we find it right after Jesus has spent some time debating with the Pharisees. Anytime you see Jesus and Pharisees, there's always some type of argument, disagreement, or debate that the Pharisees lose because Jesus knows what he's talking about. And yet time and time and time again, they come to him with this idea and with this attitude that they are going to prove him wrong. Let me tell you that as somebody who works with teenagers a lot, this is like my everyday experience. And if you are the parent of a teenager in here, you can say amen. Because there's nothing more exhausting than continuing to interact and have conversations with people who are dead set against you and their whole purpose is to prove you wrong. Welcome to youth ministry, guys. So they're arguing in this particular instance about, about food, right? The disciples haven't been washing their hands before they eat, and the, the Pharisees are saying, this is what makes them unclean. And so Jesus comes back and he says, actually, what makes you unclean is not what goes into your mouth, it's what comes out of your mouth. Because what comes out of your mouth reveals what's in your heart. And Jesus is saying to them, I care, God cares way more about what's in your heart than what you put into your mouth. And so, of course, they come to the end of the argument, the Pharisees walk away, and Jesus is like, I need to rest. He needs to rest, but he needs to leave, because he spent all of his time to this point in Galilee. He's been hanging out in the areas where all the Jewish people are, and he, he's going somewhere where he figures, you know what, I'm going to come over here to this place where, where the Gentiles live, because nobody knows me. I can kind of find the rest and the relief that I'm looking for, and I'm not worried about people coming to find me. 
And so they go to this house and they retreat to this house and they, the, no sooner than they get there, they settle in, they start getting comfortable and this woman shows up. But she's not showing up like quietly. She's showing up with a need. She's showing up with all of her grief and all of her pain and all of this anguish that she's feeling over the condition of her daughter, over the condition of her family. But she starts off acknowledging who Jesus is first, something that you don't see anybody in Israel doing, essentially. She says, Lord, son of David. She acknowledges the two names of Jesus as Lord and as the son of David, the Messiah that would come. She begins her plea this way. And then she says, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. Not have mercy on her over there. Have mercy on me. This is, her, this is personal. This is her pain. This is what's going on in her life and in her heart. She's a mother bringing to Jesus the concern and the well-being of her child, and she's risking being ridiculed by, by these people that she doesn't know. She's risking rejection, persecution, or maybe even worse, but she's doing it all on behalf of her daughter. She's willing to fight and go as far as she has to in order to bring her child, the needs of her child, before Christ. But understand that she's not doing this simply because you know, she heard that, some, that Jesus might be able to do a good thing. She's not doing this because, you know what, I can reasonably, logically explain why I think this, is, this might work. She's doing this because of what she already believes about who Jesus is and what he can do. She, there's no doubt in her mind that the solution to her situation lies with Jesus. And she's doing everything she possibly can to get to where he is. But she's not going about it. She's not making demands. She appeals to Jesus out of this incredible place of humility. Lord. The minute you call somebody Lord, you are putting them over you. Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter's sick. She's afflicted with a demon that torments her. Please, can you heal her? And Jesus' first response to her is silence. Silence. Jesus gave her no reply, not even a word. Now, I don't know about you, but when I pray and I don't hear from God, it can be a little bit of a letdown. See, because I am praying because I, I want to hear from you. I want an answer. But if I'm really honest, I don't just want an answer. I want the answer that I want. Right? I want, I want like, I'm praying, Lord, my will be done. I want God to operate on my time in a way that brings me what I want. My question for you is, what are you bringing to Jesus today? But also, how do you respond when he's silent? How do we respond to the silence of God? A lot of us go looking for answers in all kinds of other places. We grow impatient or we get discouraged. The more urgent our request is, the more dire the need that we have, the greater our tendency to not wait for God to break the silence. We, need the, we have this need sometimes to fill that space, to fill that silence with something that brings us comfort. And so we search for other ways of getting our prayers answered, having our needs met, our desires fulfilled. And yet this woman, this Canaanite woman encountering Jesus 
face to face for the first time is an, an incredible example of a different way. And it's, a, it's so clear, it brings into clear focus why Jesus was so amazed by her faith. And so the story continues. The next person that, you, that, that speaks in this story, the woman makes her request. Jesus says nothing. And the next person to speak is the disciples. They come to Jesus and they say, Lord, Jesus, can you please send her away because she's annoying us with her begging? Now, let's not be too hard on the disciples, all right, guys? Like, it would be easy. Like, look at how terrible they are. They were, they were tired. And we, if anybody's like me when I'm tired, I get really cranky. Ooh. <laughs> but they were looking to rest. And so they viewed this woman and what they saw was an interruption, What they saw was an interruption, but thank God, by the grace of Jesus, he sees an appointment. He sees an appointment. He sees that there's something happening here that I have to pay attention to. And I want you to notice this, because the disciples don't say, she asked one time, and then they're annoyed. This woman is continuing to make her request known. She's saying it, and she's asking it over and over and over again. In other words, her response to the silence of Jesus was to keep on asking, She doesn't wander off. She doesn't give up and go someplace else for help. She stays right there. She hangs on to Jesus, and she keeps on asking over and over and over. What kind of faith do we need to have that lets us stay in that place where we stay connected to Jesus and keep asking him even when we don't hear anything at all? And that's just the first thing that she does, which is incredible. She's demonstrating that she understands that silence doesn't mean no. It just means that God hasn't spoken yet. And let me encourage you today that if God is silent in your situation, he's not rejecting you. He's not saying no to you. He just hasn't sent a word to you yet. He just hasn't weighed in on whatever's going on in your life yet. But it also means that we have an opportunity to keep hanging on to keep asking, to keep praying, to keep annoying his disciples, if you will. So after the disciples come to Jesus, they ask him to get rid of her. Jesus finally breaks the silence and he says, I was only sent to help God's lost sheep, the people of Israel. So Jesus finally says something. But he's telling her, he's saying to this woman, I'm on a mission and right now you're not part of, like you're not part of the mission that I'm on. He basically is saying to her that it's not her time yet. Jesus understood his mission this way. Salvation history says that salvation would come first to Israel and then all the nations would be saved through Israel. So Jesus is operating this exact way. His focus is on God's lost sheep, the people of Israel. This woman is a Canaanite, which means that she's about as far from Israel as you can possibly be. These people did not like each other at all. There was mutual animosity, hatred, whatever you want to call it. There was just issues on both sides. And they did everything they could to stay away from each other. Jesus was on a mission to reach Israel, and this woman is challenging him to open a door for her. And he says, it's not your time yet. Which immediately reminded me of Mary in the garden. Excuse me, Mary at the wedding. There's all kinds of stories in the Bible, guys. Mary's everywhere. (laughs) Mary, they go to a wedding. It's Jesus' miracle recorded in John chapter 2. They're at a wedding in Cana, and Mary comes to him and says, these people have no more wine. Can you please help them? And what does Jesus say to her? It's not my time yet. 
Jesus had a timeline. He had a way that he understood the way his ministry and his mission was going to unfold. And he's just trying to be faithful to that timeline. But understand this, just because he has a timeline, it doesn't mean he's not open to the will of the Father showing him a different way. Because the thing that's so remarkable about this is he says this to her, but he does not say what the disciples asked him to. He doesn't say, you know what, guys, you're right. I'm here for the lost sheep of Israel. Please leave. He says, I'm only here for God's lost sheep, the people of Israel, and I want you to notice that he doesn't send her away. He allows the conversation to continue. He allows her an opportunity to respond, and I love that her response is worship because he says, but she came and worshiped him, pleading again, Lord, help me. So her first response was to Jesus' silence, was to keep on asking and to stay there. Her second response to being told, it's not your time yet, was to bow down and worship Jesus. How do you respond when you get an answer from God that you don't like? Do we worship? I don't. And yet this woman is giving us this amazing example of how we can respond to an answer from God that's not the one we were looking for. Because look, we can pray and we can plead and we can ask and we can have our requests, but God is sovereign and he, pro- he knows better than I do. And so his answer might just be no, am I willing to worship? Am I willing to worship anyway? You know, I can't help, I was, as I was preparing for this, I thought about a moment a few weeks ago I was driving to church, and I don't live that far away. I, I could walk. And if you drive, how many people drive real quick? Just quick, so you understand, finding parking around here on a Sunday is tough, right? And so I'm rushing, and I'm, I'm like, Lord, I need a parking spot. Please, amen. And so I'm sitting at a light, and this heavenly glow starts coming from across the street on the left side. And I I look over there, and my prayer got real specific. Lord, can I have that parking spot right there? And I'm sitting at the longest light in the history of lights. I promise you this is the longest light in New York, maybe the world. And I'm waiting for the light to change, and I'm praying the entire time, Lord, I need that parking spot because I want to get here to church on time. Otherwise, Jackie's going to be mad, so let me get here because I don't. And sure enough, as I'm still waiting at that light, Somebody pulled right into the spot. It was somebody from first service. I know it. I wish I could say that in that moment I decided that worship was my response. I think it was more like a tantrum. I became all of a sudden 10-year-old Matthew with a driver's license. I'm shaking the steering wheel. I'm frustrated. I'm aggravated. And so I drove around the block and I found a parking spot right in front of the church. I needed to repent. I sat, I sat in the car a little extra long and I prayed, Lord, I'm sorry. But how do we respond when, when God doesn't answer the way we want him to? I know that's a ridiculous example and I'm sure any one of you could come up and tell a story of a, of a way that you prayed or a way that, a need that you have. And you were looking for God to respond a particular way and he didn't. And sometimes that can be really painful. It can be really difficult. It can be hard to hear. 
And yet the example that this woman gives is that she stays connected. She stays in tune. She stays attached. She keeps moving towards Jesus. And the beauty at the end of this story is that Jesus also moves back towards her. See that, the thing I realize about this is this is, this is not just a story about what this person believes. This is a story about what she does because of what she believes. Her faith informs all of her decision making. Her faith informs the way that she walks out this particular situation. Her faith informs the way that she's fighting for her child. And then we come to probably the most difficult part of this passage of scripture. It's Matthew 15, 26. This is what it says. Jesus responded, it isn't right to take food from the children and throw it to the dogs. You know, when I come across this line, it, it troubled me. And I find myself asking the question about Jesus' choice of words. You know, and, and so like I did what you do. I opened up the commentaries. I've got a whole bunch of different ones I'm reading. And nobody could agree from one to the next about what this particular phrase means. One person, one person said that, well, the word dogs actually is a translation of the, like a pet. So it's not like a mangy street dog. This is like a dog that's loved and cared for. Another commentator said this was a common metaphor, a common phrase that the people of the time would just understand as not being offensive. There was still another one that suggested that Jesus had a playful tone and a twinkle in his eye when he said this. (laughs) To which, of course, I said, you were there? (laughs) So, but here's what I know. So I don't, I don't know why Jesus said this. I don't know what it completely, entirely means. But I know the character of the one that said it. I know that when you see a picture of Jesus in the Gospels, when you see a, a picture of the work of God in the entirety of the Bible, the, like his character matters. And you're talking about Jesus who is loving and kind and compassionate. You're talking about Jesus who walked out of heaven to come here for all of us to redeem the world so that we could be in relationship with God. So that he could free us from the bondage of sin and restore us to life, everlasting life. And so when I know those things and when I recognize those things, I'm unable to read a 2019 context into a passage of scripture that was written some 2,000 years ago. I need to understand the one that's speaking and not necessarily the words that are being said. Which is why I find how the woman responds to this is so interesting to me. She says, that's true, Lord, but even dogs are allowed to eat the scraps that fall beneath their master's table. The NIV translation doesn't say scraps, it says crumbs. Even dogs are allowed to eat the crumbs that fall beneath their master's table. Now understand this, she doesn't lock in on the word dogs. Well, Jesus said, Jesus called me a dog. She doesn't do that at all. She just keeps it moving because the thing that's more important, because the dog thing is not even the point of the story. It's something that if you let it trip you up, you'll turn around and walk away from a miracle. Instead, what she says is she has so much faith in the person, in the one that she's talking to. That's true, Lord, but even dogs are allowed to eat the crumbs or the scraps that fall beneath the master's table. Guys, even a crumb from Jesus' table is more than enough to deliver everything that your life is supposed to be, to have you walk in all of your potential, to have you walk in your entire calling. 
Man, that's good news, isn't it? That all it takes is a crumb from Jesus' table. And she believes that. She believes that so much that she's unwilling to move from where Jesus is because she just believes that, her, that her, the answer to her prayers is only found there. That if all she gets is scraps, it's enough. So there's two things that I understand when I, when I look at Jesus in this story. The first thing is that he's really, he's committed to his mission. He's here for Israel. He reminds her of that. And despite their unbelief, despite their lack of faith, despite the way that they argue, they are his mission. But the other thing that's really clear is that he's willing to keep talking to her. He's willing to allow a, a dialogue. He's willing to consider what might be happening, the way that the father might actually be leading him. And he keeps the conversation going which gives her an opportunity to demonstrate her great faith. Like this statement is packed with so much. It's such a demonstration of what this woman believes, of the way that this woman believes, which is how, it's, which is how she can arrive at this place, that even a crumb from Jesus' table is enough to bring about healing for her daughter. See, understand this. She doesn't need, she's not asking, I'm Jesus, I need a seat at the table. Jesus, I need a plate, a place setting, like 17 forks, like whatever it is. Like, I need all that stuff. She's saying, I will take whatever you give me, even if it's just a crumb. Are we willing to accept a crumb from Jesus? Are we willing to not only accept it, but do we actually believe that it's enough to bring us to the things that God, ha- that God can do in our lives? Jesus is so struck by her response. Dear woman, now when he says dear woman, that is a term of endearment. Like, you are dear to me. That's what he's saying. This woman, you are dear to me. Dear woman, your faith is great. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed instantly. You never hear from this woman again in the rest of Scripture. We have no clue what happened to her daughter after this. But I know one thing. Their lives were completely transformed. And everybody who's ever heard this story, including all of us, our lives are completely transformed when we learn to walk and live with this kind of faith. Because the one thing I know about this kind of faith is that Jesus shows up in it. Because the one thing that faith will always get you 100% of the time You may not get the answer that you're looking for. You may not get the thing that you're praying about. But you will get Jesus. And there is no better thing for your life than Jesus showing up in the midst of it. Because maybe he'll show you, instead of you, yeah, you wanted this, but I'm trying to give you that over there. Instead of the parking spot 17 blocks away, I'm trying to give you a spot on the corner. This woman's This woman's faith, this woman's faith actually changed the way that Jesus saw his mission. Her faith changed the way, and because of that, Jesus opens the doors of heaven to everybody. When he stretches out his arms on the cross, I like to think of it, he's holding open the doors to heaven. 
He's pouring out himself. He's saying, come to me. Like, I'm here for everybody. Because that's what faith will bring you to. I'm going to call the worship team to come forward. See, this, this woman, the Canaanite woman wanted, she just wanted a crumb. And a crumb is enough, but instead she gets a feast. Let me tell you, because of the cross, Jesus is not offering you crumbs. He's offering you a seat at his table. He's inviting you to partake of the feast that he has in store for you. He's inviting you into the life that he has for all of you. But it takes, it takes a faith. It takes hearing difficult responses and it, it takes going through tough stuff sometimes and choosing to trust Jesus in the midst of it. I think about my dad a few years back, I'm gonna, like maybe 12 years ago, he was diagnosed with stage four lung cancer. And they tell him, you know, you've got maybe 18 months, um, but no more than five years. Like my dad is still alive today. But here's the thing, we had an opportunity in that moment to just be like, yeah, we were sad. We were stricken with grief over the fact that he received a diagnosis. But it was an opportunity also to make a choice, to go to God in faith and say, Lord, let your will be done in this. And if it's to heal him, then God, would you bring that about in his life? And I can tell you that, like, my dad is cranky as ever, but he's alive. And I believe it's because of the faith that we were able to demonstrate. But it's not always going to work that way. There are going to be times when you pray and it, it just doesn't work out the way you want. You've got sick children. You've got kids, parents with kids with special needs. You've got people who die before like we're ready to let them go. Faith is not about getting, like checking boxes and getting all the things that we ask for. The ultimate reward of faith is, is Jesus. It's Jesus. And when you have that, man, you are lacking nothing. <laughs> and understand that to, to get all that, all it takes is a crumb. And you'll see the power of God unlocked in your life. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus. Oh Lord, thank you. Thank you that you offer us a seat at your table to invite us. To invite us into your family. Thank you for this, for your great love. Thank you for your blood shed on the cross. For your incredible grace that welcomes us into family with you. And I pray, God, that we would have the kind of faith that lets us worship when we don't hear answers that we want. I pray that we would have the kind of faith that can trust that even if all we get is a crumb, that it's more than enough to accomplish all the good things that you have in store. And thank you that faith ultimately gets us you.
the lover of our souls, the, the giver of life, the name that is above all names, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. It is in the powerful name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Let's all stand and sing together.
Pastor Matt for blessing us today. It's a great gift to receive. As our prayer team come to my left, invite those who are going to offer the bread and the cup to come to my right. Here we have a story of great faith and great grace. We have a woman who is suffering, alone, and rejected, and she stays committed, staying in that space with Jesus. What's interesting is this woman actually becomes a foreshadowing of what Jesus is going to experience himself. Because Jesus on the cross suffers, is alone, and rejected. And what Jesus does, just like this woman does towards him, he does towards us. He stays committed to us. We reject him. We put him on a cross. He says, Father, forgive them because they do not know what they do. And he stays committed to us until the end, until he says, it is finished. That's how committed God is to you. He's committed to you. He loves you with an everlasting love. And just a crumb, I like that, just a crumb. Just a crumb from Jesus' table falling off can nourish you just a little bit. You're, you're like, I need a big miracle. No, no, sometimes you just need, you just need a little crumb. You're looking for a big miracle. Sometimes it's just a little crumb that can get you through. And so when we pray for one another, we're offering each other little crumbs. Crumbs that satisfy, crumbs that nourish nourish us. We anoint you with oil as a sign of blessing. We pray for you. And so some of you, you've come into church, you're suffering terribly. If you come into church and everyone sees you with a smile, but you're suffering. Marriage is suffering. Finance is suffering. Your body is suffering, strained relationships that are suffering. And yet Jesus is saying, just a little crumb from my table can set you on a different path towards healing. And so our prayer team is here. Our sister Wilda is here to offer the bread and the cup. And so at the end of our service, I'm going to bless you in a moment. Feel free to come up to receive prayer, to receive communion. This week we have... A number of pastors and leaders that are coming from around the country. We're hosting a, an event, uh, the Emotionally Healthy Discipleship Summit. And so um, we're going to be serving pastors and leaders. All that to say, you can really serve us and help us because we need to set this room up for that. And so if you wouldn't mind just grabbing a chair as we've done in the past and just put it to the side and maybe a chair or two, bring it to the side. That'll really serve us to get prepared for that event this week. And we can do that at the same time. Uh, our prayer team is here as long as we need. Let the Lord speak to you, minister to you, give you exactly what you need for this day. And so as we close, let me invite you to open your hands towards heaven to receive a blessing. That we would be receive the merciful, compassionate love of Jesus. And so with your hands and your hearts in a posture of receiving, Brothers and sisters and sons and daughters of the living God, may the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face to shine upon you and fill you with peace. And may you walk out of this building in the power of the Holy Spirit, bearing witness to the healing name of Jesus. And may you encounter God's love throughout the course of this week and offer that love 
to those you encounter as well. I bless you all today in the strong, in the beautiful, in the saving name of Jesus Christ. And everyone said, amen. Grace and peace to you all.